Well, good morning, friends. Uh, I also want to welcome you here to our 9.30 service. Uh, if we have not met, my name is David. I serve as a senior pastor here, and I'm grateful that you are here on what is a historic weekend for us. Uh, pastor Shea already mentioned the groundbreaking that we're going to do following our 11 o'clock service. Uh, it's, a, it's a big deal for us as we step into a new chapter uh, of our life together. We've been preparing many, many years for what starts today, a multi-phase project to expand and enhance our ministry campus to prepare for future growth, and again, to move into the next chapter of the great 135-year history of the First Methodist Church of Mansfield, Texas. So even if you're not able to stay with us and be here after the 11 o'clock service, I I hope you'll join with us in celebrating uh, what this day means, celebrating what you have done, celebrating your generosity that has enabled us to take this step, and celebrating all of our late leaders who, again, have been working on this for years and years. Uh, to put us in a position to begin uh, that work today. If you have your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to open that to the book of Hosea. Hosea is near the end of the New Testament. We're going to be in Hosea chapter 10. Uh, If you did not bring your Bible with you or if you don't have confidence you could find Hosea in your Bible, um, you can find, no one's laughed at that already so far this weekend. Uh, You can find Hosea 10 on page 1411 in the blue Bibles that we have available for you. I'm sharing the second message in this series, Double Blessing. We started with this simple idea that, that this, is, this whole series is grounded in the idea that living generously is how we double the blessing that God has poured into our lives. Uh, We talked about that God is in the business of blessing. Blessing is who God is. Uh, Blessing is what God does. And the Christian life is all about doubling the blessings that God has given and poured into each and every one of us. Uh, We do that in in multitudes of of ways, but generosity is one of the key ways in which we do that. We talked a little bit about what blessing is and what blessing is not. We said blessing is not good luck. It's not health, wealth, or prosperity, those material things that we often associate with blessing in our culture today, it's not the absence of adversity. But blessing, when we think about this activity that is central to the heart of God, blessing is the joy that comes from living in right relationship with God. It's actually the challenges that we experience that are the catalyst for a growing relationship with God. It's the complications that we experience because we have been faithful to God. God has entrusted us with a little and God entrusts us with more. Uh, And then we ended last week, uh, I shared with you, invited you to join me in a 21 days of gratitude challenge, uh, which if you're hearing that for the first time today, you're welcome for it to be a 14-day of gratitude challenge. But the whole idea was this, that every single day over the course of the coming days, you would write down three things that you are grateful for. And then in writing those things down, number one, you would be specific you would specifically say what you're grateful for. In other words, you don't write down someone's name, but an aspect of your relationship with them that you're grateful for or something they have done for you that you wanna uh, celebrate. And, And then finally, that over the course of those 21 days, the 63 things that you would write down or over the next 14 days, the 42 things that you would write down, they would each be unique. So bluebell ice cream, that's one of mine, but I only get to use that once, okay? That's, that's how the, the challenge goes. So I hope that you will join us in that because gratitude is another way that we double the blessing of what God has poured into our life. We receive, but we also say thank you, God. 
Thank you, God, for what you have done in us and what you are doing in us. So uh, we're going to look at this passage from Hosea, and since I'm, I'm guessing that this is a book of the Bible that you are less familiar with than some of the others, let me give you a few words of context here. So Hosea was a prophet uh, during a particular time in the history of Israel. Uh, his ministry began around the time when the large kingdom over which King David and King Solomon, you probably recognize those names, the, the large kingdom that they reigned after their lives, that kingdom was split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, which uh, maintained the name of Israel, and the southern kingdom, which was the kingdom of Judah. That was around 760 BC. And, and the ministry of Hosea went all the way to around 722 BC when the Assyrians came in and conquered the northern kingdom. Now, there's not a test at the end of this, okay? So if you don't remember those dates, and I say that because I know most of you have already forgotten them, that is totally fine. You don't have to remember that. Here's what's important, and here's why I want you to understand the context of that. Because when the kingdom split... Both of them continued to live in a season of great prosperity. Are, are, are you following me? Okay, unemployment was low, stock market was high, housing market was strong. You, you follow me? It was a time of great prosperity. But what Hosea and, and the prophets that were contemporary to him, what they saw in response to this prosperity is they saw Israel increasingly turning to other gods. They saw Israel uh, continuing to, to loosen the ethical standards that were embedded in the covenant that they had made with God. They, they saw uh, the rise of various social injustices. And all of these things over the course of Hosea's lifetime well, would actually create the opportunity that, that the Assyrians had to come in and to fully destroy the northern kingdom. And, and so the prophet Hosea, like, like the rest of the prophets that we find in the Old Testament, th their work is, is, is the work of challenging and, and condemning and, and trying to, to flash a sign to Israel to let them know this is the direction that you're heading. You have to see what's happening here among us and understand what, what, what this is going to end up, uh, in, end up uh, occurring for us in, in our life. But among all of those words of condemnation, regardless of which of the prophets that you're reading, they also provide along the way a glimmer of hope. They're, they're minor in terms of their overall work, but we find these, these, these small moments where, where, where hope is offered of, of what could happen if Israel were to turn in a new direction, or at the very least, what God will do after and bringing restoration to, to the kingdoms um, when, when they fall. And, and in Hosea chapter 10, we see all of these themes. We see how he begins by talking about how Israel, uh, he describes Israel as a spreading vine. Again, fruitfulness, but that that fruit had led them to build more altars to false gods. They had prospered, but, but again, they had given the, their, their, their wealth to, to these various gods that they had lived with dishonesty and, and injustice that, that they had sold out. To, to idolatry, that they were bearing the guilt of their sin. Verse seven and eight, Hosea talks about what will happen. Samaria's king is gonna be destroyed. The high places, those that they had dedicated to the false gods, they, they would be destroyed. The sin of Israel was going to be exposed. And this, this is some of the nice things that Hosea says, by the way, okay? It gets a lot worse than this. But then we get to verse 12. And in verse 12, we find one of these glimmers of hope. 
This is what verse 12 says in Hosea. He says, sow righteousness for yourselves, reap the fruit of unfailing love, and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. Now, if, you, if you're looking at your Bible and you look at verse 13, you realize that, that though verse 12 is an interruption to the doom and gloom and the despair and destruction that, that Hosea, it's kind of the main theme of what Hosea shares, he gets back to it pretty quickly in verse 13. But here, there's, there's this intentional interruption where Hosea offers a pathway by which Israel could turn this whole thing around. You could turn it all around, he, he says, if you would sow righteousness if you would reap the fruit of unfailing love and if you would break up your unplowed ground. Now, what exactly does Hosea mean by that? I mean, it kind of sounds like what we're gonna do this afternoon. We're gonna put a shovel in the dirt and we're gonna break up the ground. But, but this is a phrase that we actually see in some of the other prophets. And, and in their usage of it, well, what, here, here's what we see. They, they are using this language, they use this phrase to refer to the fields of faith. That's what they represent, the fields of faith that Israel had neglected. Aspects of their relationship with God, the covenant that they had made with God that they had, that, that they had left behind. And that these fields of faith that were once fertile, that were once experienced great fruit, they were now filled again with thorns and thistles and weeds that prevented those fields from bearing any fruit. In other words, very simply, prosperity had led to complacency. And you could summarize the entire message of Hosea in this way, that complacency had created vulnerability. And Israel didn't see it. They didn't understand it, but it was there. I want you, so notice this progression with me, that, that the prosperity of Israel, the prosperity had actually led to a sense of complacency in Israel, and that that complacency ha- had led to an increase in their vulnerability. And here's what I want you to notice, that, that this progression This progression is not unique to the people known as the Israelites who were living in the northern kingdom of Israel between the time of 760 BC and 722 BC. That this this is a progression that that we see over and over again throughout human history. That that this this isn't just their story, this is is our story too. That our prosperity also uh, often leads us to a place of complacency and it's our complacency that actually creates what is for us a surprising vulnerability, a vulnerability that we often don't recognize until it's too late. Uh, Until we find ourselves in a place we never intended to be, we find ourselves going through something we never intended to go through because we didn't understand what vulnerability was created because of the complacency that we felt in response to the prosperity that we experienced. This progression is a constant threat to our faithfulness today and our fruitfulness tomorrow. That our prosperity would, would lead us to a place of complacency and it, and it would create for us individually and together, it would create for us a surprising vulnerability. 
which is why this, this, this act of breaking up our unplowed ground, is, it's so essential. And I wanna talk about three ways in which I think we do that together. And if you're taking notes, you can just write down these three words, pray, give, believe, but I wanna expand them in this way, that we break up our unplowed ground when we begin to pray in a way that we may have never prayed before, when we begin to give in a way that we may have never given before, and when we believe in a way that we may have never believed before. So what does that mean when we think about prayer and prayer that we may have never prayed before? It means to pray boldly. It means to pray specifically. It means to pray intentionally. It means to pray desperately. It means to pray with a posture of surrender. It means to open up your heart to God, sharing with God everything that might be there, whether it's anger or sadness or or celebration uh, or joy, to open up all that is within us to God and then open ourselves to all that God would want to pour into us. It, it's fully surrendered. It's, it's, it's completely open to the, to the one we refer to as Lord, asking him to lead us and guide us and, and, and help us to see what the path is forward. It isn't when we say, hey God, we have this thing going. Would you help us out? It's when we say, God, we believe you're doing something and we wanna find it. We wanna join you. We wanna be a part of what you are doing in the world and how you would lead us in our lives. It's when we pray, uh, uh, the prayers that we pray that are our expression of our complete and full acceptance that we are radically dependent on God, prayer that is born out of our trust, our trust in God's goodness and our trust in God's provision. It's more than just bowing our head. It's when we bend our knees and we come before God and we say, God, I wanna know your heart. I want to know your heart. I want your heart to be my heart. I want my heart to be animated by those things that animate your heart. I want my heart to break for those very same things that break your heart. God, I acknowledge and I confess. I acknowledge and I confess that I am one who is prone to complacency. So break up within me anything that is there that would lead me to just sitting back and enjoying the prosperity that I may have experienced or even sitting back and wallowing in the grief that I may be walking through. God, I wanna seek your heart. I wanna seek your will. I wanna seek you because I wanna see as you see and feel as you feel and hear what you hear and do what you have called me to do. When we pray as we've never prayed before, all of a sudden the world looks different, our lives look different, the, the work, that we do is different, the future looks different. We find ourselves doing things we never thought we would do and seeing the world in ways that we never thought that we would see. So so let me just give you one example of that. I am not naive to the fact that as we begin a multi-phase project that's filled with things that, that frankly, you're gonna be excited about and, you're, and, and see and, and, and see as an enhancement and a way to expand and, and, and bring others here. We are beginning with the most boring aspect of that project, okay? We are beginning with a parking lot, okay? And, and, and a parking lot is concrete. It's concrete. And just, just so you know, I'm aware of how boring concrete can be. I want you to know that two months ago, I sat through a two-hour meeting about concrete. 
I thought after 90 minutes, surely you have, you've, you've gotten to the end of everything that can be known or discussed about concrete, but we just kept going. 95% of what we talked about, I had no idea what we were talking about, okay? I just, yeah, I know, yeah, concrete, okay. I, I didn't know this stuff. And when it was, you know, we got to the end of that, I, I didn't walk out of there going, man, I really want to learn more about concrete, you know? <laughs> no, it was, uh, it was the most boring meeting I've ever been in my life learning all this new stuff or trying to figure out what this stuff was about concrete. I don't care about concrete. But here's the big deal and here's why this matters. Because people use parking lots and people matter to God. That's the only reason this matters. It's the only reason that we care. Because people are the ones that use parking lots and parking lots uh, are a place for, for individuals, for families to come. And, and it's a reminder that every single person matters to God. Every single additional spot is a chance to, to reach another person, another family, to be present in someone's life right now who is in the midst of pain, who is seeking answers, who needs God and doesn't even know it. Every single one is a chance to reach a person, a family, to transform the the trajectory of generations to come. And if that doesn't inspire you, if that doesn't get you more excited about concrete in a parking lot, let me just remind you of this. Somebody else paid for your spot that you parked in today. Somebody else paid for the seat that you're sitting in today. Somebody else went ahead of you and made space so that you could be here today. And whatever this church has meant for you, whatever blessing that you've experienced, someone else made that possible because of how they sought the heart of God and found themselves perhaps doing things that they never thought that they would do. We, we break up our unplowed ground when we give as if we have never given before. You already heard this, but it's, it's worth repeating. First Methodist Mansfield is a self-funded nonprofit, which means that every single thing that we do, we are able to accomplish only because of your gifts. Here, here's how you've often heard me say this. Everything that we do, we do together. And I hope that that inspires you. I hope that that fills you with a sense of pride. I hope that you are proud of what your church is doing. I hope you feel a sense of pride in that and that you get to be a part of that. That as you give and as you sacrifice, you're actually a part of something that is much bigger than you can imagine. You're a part of what your church is doing in the world that is so vast and so broad that you couldn't participate in all of it. You can't even know about all of it. I learn things every week of the things that we're doing that I didn't know about. And I'm here every single day. But it's new stuff for me and I can't be a part of all of those things. Some of you were not here Friday night. You didn't get to see and and, and welcome the 120 guests that we had for for the Night to Shine prom. We had 300 volunteers, but that wasn't all of you. You didn't get to experience what that night was was about. You you weren't here on Thursday night, perhaps, for Celebrate Recovery, or you haven't been here over the course of the last eight or nine years. I can't even remember off the top of my head that we've been doing Celebrate Recovery and how lives have been transformed through that ministry. So many of you weren't here Wednesday night. For, for the study on the book of Acts or, or a study on Thessalonians that we had. Some of you weren't here Wednesday morning for the pastor's Bible study, which I lead. I wasn't even there because I had to go to a meeting. 
Some of you, uh, we weren't there in that hospital room or at that graveside. I wasn't, I wasn't with Pastor Shea yesterday when he was doing a baptism. Uh, you you w- maybe weren't there last week as we began a journey with, with, with our confirmation kids, more than 50 kids who are uh, going to be going through a process over the course of the next 10 weeks to, to, to learn the faith, to, to come to a place of confirming the promises that others have made on their behalf, to profess their faith in Christ. You haven't been to every small group. I don't even know what Sunday, class, Sunday school classes we have, where they meet, or what time they meet, because I'm always in here. And only a few of us are in India right now, (laughs) meeting kids whose lives have been transformed because of your generosity. And yet, because of my generosity and your generosity, we're a part of all those things. We get to be a part of all of those things by the way in which we we give. Everything that we do, we do together, but there's, there's a flip side of that, that what we are unwilling to do does not get done. And there's always more. There's always more that God is calling us to do. There's always more. I've been here 15 years, and I'll tell you, the hardest thing we do every single year is make decisions about what we can and we cannot do based on the resources that we have. And of course, we all have to do that in our life. We have to do that in, 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 our, in, our, in our work life, whatever it might be, but there's always more that could be done. If every single person, let me just tell you this, if every single person in this church just decided, hey, this next year, let's double our giving, we would know what to do with that. We wouldn't be left going, I don't know, I just didn't know there was anything more to do. We give as if we've never given before. Generosity, hear this, is often the last field of faith that we cultivate because it is the one that feels the hardest. Forgiveness, okay, I'm on board. Loving other people, I can do that. Serving, I'll give my time. I'll feed the homeless. Ah, this generosity thing, it's difficult. It's one of the most radically ridiculous things that we do. I mean, when you think about it from the perspective of those who who may not share the same faith that we have, it is the most radically ridiculous thing that we do. And I understand the difficulty. I often give God thanks that I started doing it when I had nothing. It's pretty easy to tithe off nothing or very little and to grow with that along the way. So, so giving as you've never given before may be doing something that you've never done before. It may be giving more intentionally than you've ever given before, not out of what is left, but out of the first fruit. It may be given more sacrificially than you've ever given before. We break up the unplowed ground when we believe as if we've never believed before. We believe that greater things are to come that God is still in the business of doing miracles and we are invited to be a part of that work and that as we invest in that work, we're investing in something that will live on beyond the scope of our lives. That our faithfulness, hear this, our faithfulness actually outlives us. Our faithfulness actually outlives us. And just in case you need a, an example of that, I want to invite you to consider this. It was about 40 years ago that a group of people first came to this piece of land. A piece of land that at that time was empty. Nothing but a field of grass. And they came here and they broke ground on a new location for their church. 
And on that day 40 years ago, when they came to this place, they shared in what we call a litany. Now, we don't do litanies very often because they're kind of hard. It's a responsive reading, and sometimes it turns into a train wreck. You kind of have to have a graduate degree in liturgy to do it well. But we're going to try it this morning, okay? Because I want us to share together the same litany that others shared on this ground 40 years ago. So we're going to practice first, okay? This is your response. This is all you have to say. And whenever I point to you, it, that's, that's when you say it. So because people use parking lots and people matter to God, you're doing wonderful. Good job. Give yourselves a hand. Okay. Now, here's, here's the real stuff, okay? The, these are the words. These were the words that were spoken here in an empty field. 40 years ago, that a church may rise here where little children shall learn to love God and grow in grace and goodness and favor with God and one another. That a church may rise here where through the years youth shall come to worship, pause to pray, and rise to serve. That a church may rise here where the weary and heavy laden shall find inner peace which the world can neither give nor take away. That a church may rise here where the word of God shall be so read and preached that it shall become the living word and the sacraments so administer that all of life shall become a sacrament. That a church may rise here where multitudes shall be refreshed in spirit, relieved from pain, released from bondage, and redeemed from sin. That a church may rise where the grace of God may be manifest, making our human loves constant, our homes Christ-like, and our families centers of Christian witness. That a church may rise here where all who bow in sorrow shall rise in faith in him uh, in whom to believe is eternal life. So dirt was first turned on this property on March 9th, 1980 at 3.30 p.m., at least according to this very small plaque that's on this 40-year-old shovel. They came here to this place, and before any dirt had been turned, before any foundation had been laid, before any concrete had been poured, before any walls had gone up, before any carpet had been laid down, any, any classrooms open, before, before any place of worship was here, they came and they shared these words of faith. And today, we're, we're gonna do something similar. We're gonna break ground. We're gonna break ground on, on what does not yet exist. But as we do that, I want, I want you to remember, I want you to think about what, what that moment meant on that March afternoon just about 40 years ago. That was God planting in that small group of people the seed of a dream, the dream of, of, what, of, of what God might do. And I want you to think about that you are the church that others believed could one day be. That is who you are. And that's what has happened here over the course of the last four decades. Youth have come and they worship God and lives have been transformed. Children have come and they've been blessed, they've been baptized, confirmed. 
sent out in the world to serve Jesus. People have come in sorrow and brokenness and they've found relief and hope, lives, lives have been changed. More baptisms than any of us could count. All have happened here. And they happened because a small group of people, a small group of people received received the seed of a dream and they came here to plant it in the ground. And that's what we're gonna do today. That's what we're gonna do today. Because God has again given us the seed of a dream. And you should be proud of yourself because you've not allowed prosperity to lead complacency. You have received that seed, you've watered it, you've nurtured it, and, and it's time to put it in the ground. It's time for us together to, to turn some dirt, to plant that seed, and to break ground on the dream of what might one day be. Will you pray with me? Loving God, we thank you for faithfulness. We thank you for obedience, for all of the acts that have preceded our lives, for all those who over the course of generations have, have, have followed you in faithfulness and sacrifice, those who have come, uh, who have sought your heart, who have given sacrificially, who have believed that greater things were yet to come all the way back to 1885 and 14 families all throughout the generations and in moments of prosperity and in seasons of, seasons of setback. We thank you, Lord, that by your grace and by the work of your spirit, you have done things beyond our imagination. And so, Lord, we pray today that you would continue to do that. We know you can because we know you've done it before. And so again today, Lord, we together, we proclaim, we believe that. We trust that. And we trust the future and this dream to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.